Happy Easter Church, what's up? Amen, Jesus risen, let's give him a stand ovation, let's give him a stand ovation, church. Come on, church. He's alive, he's alive. Say Jesus. Amen, happy Easter, happy Easter. How y'all doing today? Uh, we want to say hello to all our campuses and all the people watching online. He has risen. This is the most, number one, important fact in the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead. If he did not rise from the dead, all of this is fake. Bottom line. And so we're going to talk about that today. But first we want to say hello to everybody watching online. Uh, we also want to say next week we're starting a new series uh, called Broken and Beauty. And it's about relationships. We all got kind of, all kind of relationship issues. Can I get Amen. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage relationships, dating relationships. In the series, uh, next week, I'm going to focus on um, the identity crisis we have in our country. <laughs> and all the people changing their identities, not knowing who they are and trying to figure that out. We're going to get into that a little bit. Uh-oh, it's going down. <laughs> the week after that, we're going to talk. We're going to have two of the San Diego State basketball players that went to the finals. Uh, they're going to be here. These... Uh, Matt Bradley and Nate Mensah go to church here. They go to our, our City Heights campus. They're going to be here talking about their journey, what God did in their life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we got a, a jam-packed next, next series coming up. But today is going to be on like Donkey Kong. Okay? <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. We pray you bless us, encourage us, challenge us. Lord, I pray that um, you open our eyes up to something new. We know that we're celebrating a risen Savior. But how can we prove it? In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone next to you a high five. <laughs> hey, turn to Luke chapter 24, Luke 24. And, and before we, as we turn there, we're going to review the gospel. Everyone say the gospel. Uh, we've been going over the gospel every week, and I can't encourage you enough to memorize the gospel. Everyone say, I need to memorize the gospel. You don't, you don't want to be a person that just comes to church and can't talk about the gospel. Uh, I, I ask Christians all the time, what's the gospel, and I can't get a clear answer. So if someone asks you what the gospel is, can you give them a clear answer? And if you can't give them a clear answer, then what is it that you believe in? And so we can just simplify it by this statement behind me. And I, I, if, you, if you have a phone, by the way, let's take a second. Just take your phone out and take a picture of that. Um, it's on our website. We want you to memorize this and be able to just roll it off your tongue in English and in Espanol. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's, let's read this. Let's read this. One, two, three. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. Let's all read it together out loud. And the more you read it, the more you learn it. Let's start it from the beginning one more time. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. A man was trying to get to God through religion, but God came down to us in Jesus Christ. That's the logic, and that's the difference of all religions. Then it says, he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. He was the example of what a person was supposed to live like in communion with God. Perfect love, perfect forgiveness, supernatural miracles. You are supposed to be living in the supernatural, okay? Then he died the death we should have died. Our sin deserves death. He died in our place, okay? Why? Because he loved you. Not because you're cute, 
Not because you got a nice suit, because he, because, you're, because he loves you. That's it. We have no merit, no merit. Then it says, three days later, today's the Esmas, today's the Esmas, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who repents and believes in him. Memorize that. And I, and I can't stress it enough to, to memorize that um, because when, when you're talking to people, in line at the grocery store, at school, at work, and you just want to say, hey, uh, can I share the gospel with you? And you don't need to go on to this long story that they can't get. You want to just explain that. Amen? Okay, amen. Amen. Luke 24. Um, Kintsugi is a Japanese art form where the, if you take broken pottery like this broken pottery here, and you repair the broken pottery with gold, it is more valuable after than before. The repaired pottery has more value than the original. The gospel is the only thing that can take broken relationships and not only repair those broken relationships, but that those repaired relationships are more valuable, more powerful, more impactful than before because now God is involved in the relationship. Can I get an amen? I would imagine hopefully some of y'all have relationships with people, whether it be spouses, family members, friends, coworkers, or whatever, that relationships that were broken and Christ came into the relationship repaired the relationship, and now it is more powerful than it has ever been before. Anybody, can anybody attest to that? Amen. So we are here to testify that the gospel is true, especially in a world that is becoming more anti-Christ. Newsflash, the United States of America is becoming more anti-Christ. And you have to decide, we have to decide, do we believe in the gospel or not? You can't have it both ways. And so when you talk about the gospel and people attack you, they're going to say, well, it's not really true. The question is, how can you prove that the gospel is true? We all know why we're here. It's Easter. People come to church, Easter, Christ rose from the dead. And by the way, the reason we worship on Sunday every week is because this is the day he rose from the dead. So we're theoretically celebrating his resurrection every Sunday. But how can you prove it's true? Because you should not follow the Bible on blind faith. You should not go to church on blind faith. You should not read the Bible and pray on blind faith. You should have evidence. I don't jump off buildings because I have good evidence that there is gravity that will take me to the ground. I have good evidence that I cannot fly. It's not like blind faith. Oh, I don't think I can fly. No, I know I can fly. I know there's gravity. So whenever you put faith in something or someone, you should never do it blindly. It should always be based on fact. Everyone say fact. And the gospel needs to be based on facts. So what are the facts? Let's read Luke chapter 24. We'll get to the facts in a minute. It says, here's a testimony. Verse 1 to 7, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women, say women, Amen. key fact, we'll get back to that in a minute while I, while I point that out, came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. By the way, um, the stone was only rolled away, not so Jesus can get out. 
because he could walk right through the wood, through the, through the rock. He had a supernatural body. The stone was rolled away so the people can see that he was up. We'll get to that. That's a whole nother sermon. Verse 4. It happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid, bowed their faces to the earth and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Say he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise from the dead. And by the way, when, when the angel says, remember what he said, he's only pointing out a few things that he said. Everything Jesus said is going to come true because he rose from the dead. In, in other words, if he could rise from the dead, what can't he do? Hmm. If he, created the, if he created the heavens and the earth, he could pay your bills. If he created the heavens and earth, he could feed you. If he created the heavens and earth, he can get you a job. He can get you a woman, a man that you really need. Not the one you want, but the one you need, okay? Because you may want all that, but all that ain't good for you. <laughs> so this is the story. Early in the morning, Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. There were angels there, and he was gone. But that's what they're telling us, but how do we know that? Let me tell you something, the fact that he rose from the dead or the claim that he rose from the dead is the most important claim in the entire Bible. If he did not rise from the dead, we don't have to read and obey and listen to all the Bible. It's all rests on that, all of it. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, we have found false witnesses of God. We're liars. If Christ is not risen from the dead, I'm a liar about this gospel. Because we have testified that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise from the dead, if in fact the dead do not rise from the dead. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. And by the way, if Christ does not rise from the dead, there is no hope of the afterlife. So how can we know? Three concepts about proving something to be true. Number one, is your claim distinguishable? In other words, when you claim something to be true, can you prove it and eliminate all credible contradictions? Let's say someone came to the church one day and they were looking for me. And they said, we have $10 million because Miles won the lottery. I don't play the lottery. I'm not against the lottery, just so you know, but I don't play the lottery. Uh, but if I won it, I take the money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but let's hypothetically say I won the lottery. And they came in and said, we want to give Miles. Who's Miles McPherson? And I said, I am. And they said, well, do you have ID? I said, no, but I'm him. They said, well, we can't give you the money because we need evidence. We have, to be, we have to verify that you are him. And so the first thing they would do is find out, does anybody else claim to be me? Are there any contradictions to my story that I am Miles? And they would go around the office, anybody else here Miles? You Miles, you Miles. And if someone, if someone said, I'm Miles, then we have a problem. But if they can find no contradictions, that's one way of verifying that I am out. So we're going to look at the resurrection claim and see if there are any credible contradictions. 
In other words, it's one thing to say something didn't happen, but it's another thing to prove it didn't happen. So after you list out your credible contradictions or not, then you ask, is it measurable? Measurable is that you have claims that can be tested. In other words, okay, Mr. McPherson, we, we, you're, we don't have anybody saying you're not him, but how can you prove you are him? Well, I have a wife that will tell you I'm him. I have kids that will tell you I'm him. I have staff members that will tell you I'm him. I have people in the church that will tell you I'm him. I have a website and I have people on this online content. Here's all this evidence that says I am him. So what is the evidence that says Jesus did die, rose from dead? Here's why this is important. Because you have to know in this world how to stand on this as fact. And not, well, I go to church because my parents did. I go to church because it's supposed to, I, you know, it's Easter, so let me go to church. No, no, don't do it for that reason. Don't read the Bible for that reason. You're either in or you're out. Don't have foot on one each side of the fence because it's barbed wire on the fence. Oh, snap. <laughs> you, you have to be all in or all out. And the best way to be all in or all out is to be convinced that something either did happen or it didn't happen. And so we're going to look at the evidence in favor of Jesus rising from the dead. And then is it distinguishable? Is it measurable? And then is it logical? After you look at all the evidence, the contradictory evidence, and then the affirming evidence, the verifiable evidence, then you say, does it make sense that he rose from the dead? Now, if he rose from the dead, that means you have an opportunity for eternal life. If he rose from the dead, everything else he claimed is going to be true. If he rose from the dead, it means he's alive in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you. If he rose from the dead, he's coming back for you. If he rose from the dead, he's preparing a place for you. All that other stuff is true. And if all that other stuff is true, then we need to say, Lord, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for my money because my money... Poof, like the magic dragon, it's gone. I don't want to live for these people. Poof, they die and get old. I don't want to live for my job. I can change jobs. I want to live for something that is eternal, that can overcome death. Can I, can I get an amen? So let's look at the evidence. Is it distinguishable? What are the apparent contradictions to Jesus rising from the dead? Well, there's no body to be found. If someone can prove and show his body after 2,000 years, all you have to do to completely annihilate Christianity is show a body. We got bodies of pharaohs. We got bones of ancient people. And all these years, no one has able to produce a body, that would be an amazing contradiction. Can I get an amen? No one's proved it. Number, another another apparent contradiction, a claim, is that he didn't really rise from the dead. He was just in a coma. So they beat him, whipped him, nailed him to the cross, stuck a spear in his side, water and blood came out, which means that in the sack around the heart, the red blood cells in the plasma, in the plasma separated, and so when in his heart, he literally died of a broken heart. And when they stuck a spear in it, it broke the pericardium sac, the sac around the heart, and the plasma was, looks like water, and the red blood cells came out separately. He was dead. The Romans were experts in killing people. If a Roman soldier was commissioned to kill someone and that person didn't die, they would die. So to claim that Jesus was in a coma after being beaten, tortured, 
hanging on the cross for six hours, put in the tomb, that all of a sudden he came out of the coma, no medical treatment, rolled the stone away, overpowered the soldiers, all after being crucified. That ain't realistic. Can I get an amen? That don't fly. Then another claim is that Jesus had a twin brother. Let me just move on. That's so crazy. <laughs> Another claim is that the fishermen stole the body. Now, I don't know if there's any fishermen here. I know we're in Point Loma. We got boats right here and some of y'all fishermen. But I don't think 12 fishermen or 11 fishermen could have overpowered the Roman soldiers. Well, let me say they can. Take 12 fishermen from, from San Diego, the, the most burly, in shape, MMA wannabe fishermen, and, and you're going to go overpower 12 Navy SEALs? I don't think so. That didn't happen. And the last one is that the, the disciples hallucinated. They just thought they saw a risen Savior. The best attempts at contradicting the resurrection are ridiculous. So that means the claim that he rose from the dead all of a sudden is still standing strong. But what is the measurable evidence that he did rise from the dead? Number one, there was an empty tomb. If you go to Israel today, you can walk in the tomb and you can verify on your own, he ain't there. He ain't there, D-A-R-E. You can walk in, pay your money, and you look around and say, he ain't there. And the next person comes in, he ain't there. The next person comes in, he ain't there. You just put a sign when you go in, there's going to be a sign on the inside. He ain't there. <laughs> he ain't there. If the tomb where they laid you dead is empty, that's evidence that something happened. Number two, the testimony of women. Now, you're like, well, what is that? I don't, I don't. <laughs> There's a lot of jokes made about this. I'm not going to make any jokes because I love women. This is, this is, I don't really appreciate those jokes about the women they make them out. In the first century, a woman's testimony was not credible in court. Not that, and, and, and so if, if you said, hey, a woman told us, it's like, I can't believe that. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to believe that. So why would the church make up a story that women were the first one to see him and this is all based on their story? Because in the first century, they didn't listen to women. They were, you couldn't testify. It, the only reason that the Bible says that women were the first ones there to see him is because it was true. Here's the thing about the Bible. If you read the Bible and for real read the Bible, you're going to see that nobody in the Bible is perfect other than Jesus. Paul was killing Christians before he got, well, his name was Saul before he became Paul. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all did some scandalous stuff. Why is that in the Bible? It's because they were humans. The Bible will tell you the down dirty of people because it's true. The fact that the Bible says women were the first one there and women the first to testify of the resurrection is only because it's true. <clears throat> Let me say it a little more base. It's true. <laughs> Number three, the transformed lives of the disciples. Mark chapter 14, verse 50 says that when Jesus was arrested, the disciples 
forsook him and fled. When he was arrested and then crucified and then died, his disciples thought it was done. He's dead. And they ran and hid. But then they saw him, touched the nail prints in his hands, ate with him, held him, encouraged by him. And they said, oh, snap. It's true. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 to 20 says that they called them, the Roman officials called the disciples and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in Jesus' name. After they saw the risen Savior and they started preaching the gospel and were filled with the Holy Spirit and the church began to grow, they started preaching the miraculous power of a risen Savior. The, 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 the official says, you cannot say that anymore. And by the way, that's what's happening right before your eyes here in, in the United States. The gospel is becoming illegal. And you are going to have to decide, are you going to stand up for the gospel or not? Do you believe in God or not? Not God, something up there. No, a risen Savior because there's a whole bunch of things claiming to be God out there, but they ain't God. And so they said, you can't preach in his name and in the name of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said, I'm going to read it, then I'm going to ebonicize it, okay? It says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak but the things we have seen and heard. They said, look, we got one God, he's bigger and better than you, so you can do what you got to do, but we ain't going to shut up. That's basically what they said. Why? Because they said, our Savior loved the unlovable, healed the unhealable, forgave the unforgivable, forgivable, let sinful people kill him was put in the, in the tomb, and then he rose from the dead. I'm going with that guy. That's what they said. His empty tomb, that's pretty good evidence. Testimony of women, the fact that they, they said that, that women saw him, we, that's a believable story. Transformed disciples, they went from being scared, hiding, to being bold proclaimers of the gospel to the point where they were killed for their faith. Who dies for something they don't really believe is true? Nobody. And then hundreds of eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. Paul says, first I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, rose again the third day, and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by 500 people at one time, of whom the greater part remained. And then after that, he was seen by James and all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also. 500 people. He, Jesus rose from the dead, walked around for 40 days. Then he ascended into heaven. He wanted to make sure enough people saw him, enough people went, oh, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. He said, now you guys go out and spread the word. And lastly, the church exploded in faith and numbers in the very place that one person could have discredited the whole faith. Look what it says in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. What? And the Lord, what? And the Lord, what? And the Lord, what? 
added to the church daily those who are being saved. Because people are saying, he's alive. He's alive. And they saw people's lives being transformed over and over and over again. This must be true. Here we are 2,000 years later saying the same thing, seeing lives change the same way, and no one has been able to disprove it. So the question for you is, what are you going to do? You either have to say, I believe it, or I don't. And if you don't believe it, here's the question, what evidence are you basing that on? Because if you say, I don't believe it, and I'm going to reject the gospel, if you're wrong, you go to hell. That's a big step of faith. I think I'm, I'll take on God by myself. No, please don't do that. I'm going to take my chances with my good looks. Please don't do that because you will get old and crusty really quick. I'm going to take my chance with my money. Please don't do that. Your money will fly away like, well, with wings like eagles. Please don't do that. I'm going to take my chance on my good deeds. The Bible says that, the, the Bible says that salvation is a gift, not by works. You are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. And so Jesus is asking you, giving you an opportunity as the risen Savior, alive, able to judge you. And by the way, he'd be right. He's giving you an opportunity to ask him to be your Savior. The reason he died was to pay for your sin. The reason he rose from the dead was to conquer death, overcome death. And at one time say, I am the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So in a minute, we're going to pray. And you're going to have an opportunity to say, I believe the story that Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And I have nothing better to put my faith in. So I'm going to put my faith in him and trust in the power of a God who can overcome death itself. Because death is coming for us all. Bow your heads and close your eyes, please. God loves you. He proved it by dying on the cross for you. And then he rose from the dead. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have heard more than enough evidence that he rose from the dead. So if you would like to ask him to be your savior, Pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. Pray, dear God, I believe I am a sinner and that the penalty of my sin is death. I also believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. The evidence is overwhelming. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come live in my heart. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you. I want to live for you. 
If you prayed that prayer, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand up. And by standing, you are resurrecting from the dead, from your old life, and going to walk into your new life. So on the count of three, if you prayed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet and acknowledge that you're giving your life to Jesus in all the campuses. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. Amen. God bless you. 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 We see you all over. We see you all over the building. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Stay standing, please. Stay standing. God bless you. 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 Now, we're going to ask all of y'all in a minute who are standing to come down to the altar. If you're in the balcony, all you got to do is turn around and walk up. You can bring your family with you. So if you're standing up, come on down to the altar. Let's give all these people a big hand. They come on down. Come on, church. Come on, church. Amen. God bless you. Just stay right there. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Just stay right there. God bless you. God bless you. You can face me. God bless you. 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 God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. How you doing? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come, come. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, man. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on, church. Let's encourage him. Let's encourage him. Amen. Amen. If all y'all can get out your communion cups. It is very important for all of you standing down here to understand that this is a relationship. Everyone say relationship. When a man and woman get married, the Bible says two become one. Everyone say two become one. <laughs> Marriage is a, is a symbol that God created to show us salvation. All throughout the Bible, God is the husband to his people. Old Testament, New Testament. He is the husband, the church is his bride. In the book of Revelation, it talks about there's going to be a wedding banquet when we are joined to our Father in heaven. It is a relationship. Everyone say relationship. We want to help you in that relationship because in the context of the relationship, your life will change. But if you walk away here and walk away from your spouse and don't talk to your spouse, don't serve your spouse, don't love your spouse, the relationship breaks down. It's as simple as that. And if you are with your spouse, you have kids, disciples. That's not, like, we didn't make that up. That's the Bible. <laughs> so what we're going to do is take communion. And if you could open up that little top there. It says, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we remember Jesus, we want to remember that he was broken for us, that he was br brutally tortured and murdered for us. We don't want to think, I'm going to get a Christian, I'm going to become a Christian and I'm going to make money. <laughs> I'm going to become a Christian and I'm going to, be, I'm going to get broken. 
God's going to do away with my old life and give me a new life. And so we remember Jesus died for me. And when you remember that he died for you, it helps you understand how much he loves you. Because he had no sin. He did it all for us. Lord, we thank you that you died for us. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Likewise, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. He died and paid for our sin with his blood. The life is in the blood. And all throughout the Old Testament, they would shed the blood of animals for their sin, but it was inadequate. That's why I had to keep doing it over and over again. Jesus, I'm going to shed my sinless blood one time. One time. Lord, we thank you that you shed your innocent blood for our sinful blood. In Jesus' name, amen.